0: Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Well, to be uh, perfectly honest as we get started today we 're looking at um, a big section of scripture, and you can kind of break it into two parts, and the first part is uh, very fittingly what we 're going to start with uh, Luke chapter seven verses thirty six through fifty and it 's a story of Jesus going to this pharisee 's house and then this woman showing up who has pretty bad background and uh, i 'm actually going to read it, but I want you to think as we read it, about the fairness or not of what Jesus says in the story. Because I I just have to be honest and say, I actually don't like the implications of what Jesus suggests in this story. Uh, It's a little bit frustrating to me, and I think you'll see why. It gets at the unfairness of grace. So if you are here and you have your Bible or watching you have your Bible, you can go ahead and follow along. Uh, If not, uh, you can follow along on screen if this works, which right now it's not. Let me try it one more time. Times like this, I wish I was really good at multitasking and coming up with jokes on the fly, but uh, (laughs) I'm bad at both of those, so sorry. Yep, I don't think it's going to do it. Sorry, Carrie. Can you switch the slides over to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50 for me? All right, thank you. Uh, here's how, what, what happens. Um, then one of the Pharisees invited him, and this is talking about Jesus. Uh, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, uh, just as we get started, this, this is important to point out because we've already seen several stories in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. And uh, yes, woohoo! yeah, that's right. Uh, Jesus included everyone in his ministry. And what I love about this story is he also included Pharisees in his ministry. When a Pharisee invited him over to his house, Jesus wasn't like, no, 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 you're a Pharisee, yeah. Like, he ate with Pharisees as well. Um, and so, equal opportunity. <laughs> Uh, bringing the gospel and the good news of himself and his kingdom to all. So he goes to the Pharisee's house. He reclines the table. He's eating with the Pharisee. And then verse 37, And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet With her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarii is one day's wages. So one owed 500 days wages and the other 50, 50 days wages. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, Jesus told him. And I love this. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman now, but he's speaking to Simon. He's turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. And you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, right? It's not because she did all these acts for Jesus. It's her sins have been forgiven, and therefore she loves much. She, she deeply appreciates my grace. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? It's interesting, we've seen this question before as we've walked through uh, the gospel of Luke. Jesus goes around forgiving people's sins, and people are like, only God can do that. And it's kind of like Jesus like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, right? (laughs) Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's certain parts of this story I love and I think are really beautiful. This woman's deep humility and appreciation for Jesus And if you uh, go back and study the cultural context, that just becomes even more clear. Um, Wiping, washing someone's feet was considered the job of just the lowest of servants. And it's not that Simon is being rude. He's doing kind of the bare minimum of hospitality. But it's like this woman with her actions is going way above and beyond what normal people would do for anyone. It'd be like going to someone's house and washing their toilet for them, right? Like, because you would walk around in sandals or barefoot on roads that had all kinds of things on them, Uh, manure and uh, all the things that come out of animals on the roads. And um, so that's where Jesus has been walking around. He's in this house eating, and she's wiping and washing his feet like a servant would, but even just with her own hair. She's just desperately grateful for the grace that she has experienced. And it's interesting because we don't have the backstory of this woman, but it seems clear that she's already encountered Jesus at some point, right? She's already encountered Jesus and his acceptance and his grace, and this is her response to that. But again, what is troubling to me about it is that little line when Jesus gives this story, this little parable, right? There's two two creditors, two people who owe this man money, one 500, The creditor forgives them both, and the one who owed him more, I was going to love him more. And Jesus says, yep, that's how it works. And I have to be honest and just say, I don't like that. (laughs) And as someone who has grew up in a Christian home, um, and in general, like I'm a pretty good person, I've tried to follow God's ways most of my life, and of course I've fallen short in so many ways. But I don't have like one of those testimonies, you know, I was drinking by age three and smoking a pack of cigarettes page four, right? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about, though. Like, you used to hear those stories that kind of go that way of, like, you know, my life was a mess, total disaster. I was addicted to every kind of drug. And then I found Jesus. Now I'm cleansed, right? I don't have one of those stories. Um, Like, I was an okay person, and then I found Jesus. And everything was better, (laughs) but it's not like I was a terrible person or something. And it seems to me that Jesus is suggesting, Luke, you're going to love me less than people who do have that kind of story. Doesn't that what it sounds like? You who have been forgiven little will love little. You who have been forgiven much will love much. It feels like the opposite of Santa Claus, right? You are naughty, you get more presents. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like Jesus is saying, doesn't it? The person who has been forgiven more will inevitably love me more and be more grateful that feels unfair to me. The more wrong you do, the more forgiveness you get. The less wrong you do, the more ungrateful you will be. Is that really what Jesus is saying? Now, I want to go past that because I think, actually, if you look at this story, there's more going on than that. If you look at it with just that in mind, it's almost like the application would be like, so sin a lot before you find Jesus. That way you'll love him a lot which is definitely not the application. Let me be very clear. That is not the application of the scripture. (laughs) Um, As I study the scripture more, and then also the scripture that comes right after that that we're going to look at next, uh, I think actually this concern is answered in a number of ways. But let's be honest at the start and say, well, grace is just unfair, period. The very definition of grace and mercy is not getting what you deserve. And the basic truth of the gospel message is all of us deserve death. So for any of us to not get that is grace and is unfair. But let me point out some, some other things that, that maybe you didn't catch, and these things have helped me grapple with this. Uh, first of all, let's go back and revisit Luke 7, 37 through 38. Um, a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet Um, weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears. This woman's response demonstrates how terrible her life was before Jesus and how grateful, how deeply grateful she is for Jesus' grace and forgiveness and the fresh start she's found in him. And here's the first truth that we need to get into our hearts and minds, that those who have sinned more have suffered more. And so maybe it is that people who have a worse background will appreciate grace more deeply, but uh, I was trying to get at this different ways. Uh, here's one. If you take that and you're like, yeah, like, maybe we should have bad backgrounds. Maybe that's better. That would be like this. That would be like, uh, have any of you guys ever seen those videos of people who get uh, the cochlear surgeries and then are able to hear for the first time in their lives? And they're just so amazed at every sound they hear. And it's amazing that we can do the surgery in some cases now today, and I hope this advances. And it's so moving to watch these videos because they're so grateful for every sound they hear and every piece of music they hear after that, right? Would you trade a whole life's worth of hearing so that you could have that moment of gratitude? I wouldn't, right? And to say that oh, like, that's not fair, is almost like saying, like, it's not fair that those people who receive the surgery get to be so grateful for hearing. Like, yeah, it is, right? It's it's a good gift, but I also would not trade having hearing my whole life for that gift. With the immense gratitude you would feel upon hearing for the first time, I would not be willing to trade being deaf my whole life to get that. And sin is like deafness. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And so the more sin you have in the background than life, the the truth is you've actually experienced worse things throughout your life. You've suffered a lot. And all things being, equal, you probably caused other people a lot of suffering. And so, of course, you're going to be grateful to get out of that, but that, um, who would exchange a life with less of that for a life of more than that. That should not be the application. And then we get at that truth that, like Jesus said, right? Uh, which will love him more? The one who has been forgiven more. It is true that the more you've been forgiven, the more deeply you will appreciate grace. But look at Luke 739. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus over, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. This is kind of the the trick in my mind of this whole passage. Is Simon the Pharisee a sinner? Has he fallen short of God's standards of living and the way we're supposed to live and the way we're supposed to love? Of course he has, because he's sitting right there in this moment condemning this woman, right? And here's part of the issue for us, is that those of us who have plenty of sin in our background, but this kinds of sins we have struggled with have been more culturally acceptable in the culture in which we live, I think we're at greater risk to minimize our need for grace. The truth is all of us need God's grace. But the fact is, because of the way our culture and our world works, there are some sins that are condemned and looked down on, and it's really, really bad. Those are the bad sins. And other sins that we're like, ah, ah, that's okay. I mean, the Bible equally condemns sexual immorality and gluttony. And the truth is, you and I, just by nature of our culture and our upbringing and how our consciences is formed, if we encounter someone and find out that they've struggled with sexual immorality in different ways we're probably likely to be like, oh. And someone else who struggles with gluttony, we're like, oh, oh. And so for that person who struggles deeply with gluttony, the risk is that they'll say, oh, I don't really need God's grace. I maybe need a little grace, but not, not a lot. Do you see the problem? We are tempted to minimize our, our need for grace if we happen to struggle with sins that are more culturally acceptable. Simon needed Jesus' grace just as much as the woman did. The problem was that he didn't see that as much as the woman did. So, the next slide. um, Is grace unfair? Yeah, it is. But it's unfair for all of us. And if you look at that last point, um, when I say anticipate, I mean, this is what we're about to see in a moment. And this is why I think this parable of the sower we're gonna look at is so important for us to get right because what Jesus teaches in the parable we're about to look at is that your response to his grace is actually not determined by your past. It's determined by the condition of your heart right now. And the application of the parable of the sower is not, hey, if you have a really bad past, you're gonna love me and if you don't have a bad past, sorry, You're out. The application is, hey, you, whoever you are, whatever your past, check the condition of your heart. And if the condition of your heart is not good, is not receptive towards me, Jesus is saying, then change it and you can. Your response to Jesus' grace is not determined by your past, but by your heart. And so let's look now at this parable of the sower, because I think it's going to, one, get at um, deeper this truth, but I think it's also a perfect picture of what we just read happening between Simon the Pharisee and this woman. As we read the parable of the sower, I want you to think about um, what kind of heart condition did Simon the Pharisee have, and what did this woman have? Which of these different soils Jesus is going to talk about match that? relate to that. So uh, turn over to Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And after we read this, kids, I'm going to have you come forward. So be ready to come up. Uh, We're going to look at some different soil conditions. Here's what happens next. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, and this is talking about the sowing of sowing seeds, not the sowing of Sowing quotes, right? Uh, Sower went out to sow his seed, scatter his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. And then later with his disciples, he explained it. He said in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe, be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when, when they have heard, they go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring, produce Fruit. This is just Jesus' parable of the soils. And I want to make a couple different points about this. Um, so, so kids, would you come on up? And we're going to look at some examples of these different soils. Carrie, if you'd like, you can put up the picture of ground, till the ground. I realize I put these backwards too. So kids, you don't have to come forward, but if you like, you can check out our soils. You can come up and uh, we'll show you. All right. So first of all, I have here Cosmos seeds. Do you guys know what Cosmos are? Ada does, because Janelle grew half a yard of them last year. Uh, they're kind of a flower, and they're really pretty. Um, and she harvested uh, a bunch of them, and she planted them, and she still has a bunch more. So she let me steal her seeds for this illustration. All right, so I have four different kinds of soil here, which just so happened on purpose to match the four (laughs) kinds of soil Jesus talks about. So I want you guys to check these out, and you can kind of feel them and look at them, and then uh, I want you to tell me about them. Okay, so first of all, yeah, just check them out. See what they're like. And not everyone can see what's going on. So, so tell me about this soil. Yeah. Yeah. It it is a little wet. You're right. Is it soft and ready? No. Okay. So, what would happen if I came and I'm I want to plant seeds and I just go like this? It would blow away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it won't work because the seeds need to get down underneath. You're exactly right. And in Jesus' parable, he said, this is like sea along the path, so the ground's hard and it can't get underneath. And then he said, what's going to happen too, if you put this outside, birds are going to come and eat it, right? You guys have a bird feeder at your house or seen birds eat seeds. They would come and eat this, right? Gone, right? How about this? How do you think? What, What do you think? If I put some seeds on here? They're all rocks? But what if, it, what if you water it a little bit? What'll happen? It'll turn into dirt? Mm-hmm. No, it, it'll like the water will just seep through, right? It won't stay wet enough. It'll be dry. And Jesus said, some people's hearts or their receptivity to him are like this, where the water comes, but then it just flows right through, and they don't grow very big in their faith. Okay? How about this one? Tell me about this. I don't, I don't have any thorns, so this is uh, crabgrass, which we don't like. Um, so what's going to happen if I take some cosmos seeds and I sprinkle them in here and I water it? What if I start watering this every day? What's going to happen? Yeah, they'll start growing. Good, they will. What else will grow? The grass will grow too, right? And you guys have learned this, right? What do plants need to survive? They need not just water, but also sun, So if little tiny baby flowers start growing here, and meanwhile these are growing bigger and bigger, are these little flowers going to get much sun? Oh, they're not going to get the sun they need to grow healthy. And here is some of Janelle's potting soil. What do you think? Does it smell good? I like the way it smells. All right, let's put some seed in here. And maybe plow it a little bit. Okay. All right. All right. Which one you guys think is gonna do best? Yep, that one. You're absolutely right, you win. Um, Actually, you guys can even take some Cosmo seeds home after today. But here's the, I wanna make two points about this parable before you guys go and sit down, and thank you for your help. Um, If you had a package of seeds, where would you put the seeds? This is your ground. Where would you put them? You put them there, right? Isn't it weird that in this parable, the sower has seed... He's like, yep, some along the path, some in the rocks, some in the weeds, some in the good soil. Why would the sower do that? Isn't that strange? I think one of the things that Jesus is telling us about, and this is not the main point of the parable, but I think it actually is an important point, because Jesus says the seed is like the word of God. This is like God's message, and these are like the possible conditions of our hearts, and if you go to that next quote, uh, Carrie, that I put up there. Uh, sorry, the next one from Charles R. Swindoll. He says this. He says, God's grace is like a reckless sower. Like reckless means out of control, right? You're supposed to put seed here, but the sower is just going along rocks and path and weeds, so seeds everywhere. God's grace is like a reckless sower, casting seeds of mercy and forgiveness in every direction, he does not withhold his love or limit his offer of salvation. His generosity is boundless, reaching even the most unlikely recipients. So here's the point for us. If this is like God's word and the good news of the gospel and Jesus' truth, which kinds of hearts hear that? Do hard hearts hear that? Yeah, they get it. Rocky hearts, they get it. Like God gives his he opens his arms and he scatters the seed everywhere, which is amazing, which we just saw in the, in the other story, right? Simon the Pharisee is there and he's kind of judgmental and condemning, but Jesus goes to his house and he's willing to offer him truth. All right, here is the question I want you guys to think about, is what is your heart like when it comes to Jesus and the truth about him? Because in this story, Jesus is saying, These are the different ways people's hearts can be. Sometimes you can have a hard heart and the the truth just sits there and sooner or later the devil comes and just takes it away. Others, it's like you hear it and you understand, but then hard times come, dry times come, and it wilts. And for others, the word gets crowded out by all the other things there are to do in life all the fun, exciting things, and all the good stuff there is to enjoy and it kind of gets crowded out. And other people's hearts are like this where if you water this, the seed's gonna grow and it's gonna do well. And so, why I want you to think about. What is your heart like when it comes to God? And also, if you wanna take home some seeds, come find me after the service and I'll give you some Cosmos flower seeds and you can take those home. All right, thank you guys so much. You can go ahead and find your seeds. Appreciate it. So we're going to apply this to us, but this is Jesus' point Uh, and question for us is, what is the condition of your heart like? And his point, again, is this, that you control the condition of the soil of your heart. And again, if you go back to that story we just read about Simon and this woman who's been forgiven so much, you can kind of cast it in this light, right? What, What is Simon like? Actually, I'm not sure what Simon's like. I don't know what's going on in his heart, but it's definitely not the last one, right? I'm not sure if Simon heard Jesus' words, but then opened himself up to spiritual temptation and just didn't hold on to it. Or if Simon experienced persecution of some kind and just let go. Probably not. That's not what it sounds like. Or if Simon just had so many other worldly concerns that it crowded out Jesus' good news. But what was the woman like? She was like the good soil. She heard Jesus' message and responded and held on to it. And again, Jesus' point is that your response to his grace is not determined by your past, by, by the condition of your heart. And the whole reason he tells this parable is to say, Hey, all of you, I'm giving you my word. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's coming to you. God's message and his truth is coming to your heart and your life. But you get to control the condition of that soil that is your heart. And so how is the soil of your heart? Here's what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, the parable of the sower teaches us that our hearts can be transformed through our willingness to receive and nurture the word of God. We have the power to cultivate a heart that is open and receptive and fruitful. Again, the point is you control the condition of the soil of your heart. And so finally going back to that question, um, is the encounter between Simon and this woman is the point to teach us that, oh, sorry, you don't have much sin in your background, so you're just not gonna love me very much? Apparently not, because Jesus' point is you can be this kind of soil. Regardless of your background, this is the kind of soil we are to be. And so as we seek to apply this parable to our own lives, um, we're just going to kind of work through these negative ways of responding and some applications related to that, and then what Jesus gives us as the positive way to respond. So uh, let's work our way back through Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Uh, Verse 11 and 12. This is the meaning of the parable, Jesus says. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. the first application is to be on guard in a spiritual sense, to have our eyes open, to not be gullible or naive when it comes to spiritual temptation. Uh, The New Testament teaches, and I know, This is kind of weird for those of you who maybe don't grow up in a Christian background, but that there are real spiritual forces of evil that can tempt us, can distract us, can lead us astray, and that if you want to be wise, you will have your eyes open to that reality. You pray, God, open my eyes to this source of temptation When I think about how spiritual temptation works, I can't help but think of um, the best uh, explanation I've heard of this is uh, people who actually will rob, um, like, gas station marts, even though they don't have a gun, and they'll, like, put their hand inside their sweatshirt and be like, you know, give me all the money out of the register, right? Now, for the person working the cash register, imagine that's you. Would you do it? And the point of that illustration, right? It's someone robbing a store who doesn't actually have a gun, but they're pretending they do. I feel like that's the way spiritual forces of evil often work in our lives. Demons, and the devil, where he doesn't actually have a great amount of power, but he is able to lie and deceive us. And so if you buy into that lie that this person has a gun... How are you going to respond? You're going to give them more power than they actually have. You're going to treat them as if they have more power than they actually have. And again, I think that's the way it is uh, with spiritual deception. We need to be on guard against those lies, to have our eyes open and ask for God's wisdom, to see it, to stand against it as Paul encourages us in Ephesians. And more than anything, to pray. Prayer is not simply important for connecting with God. It's important for guarding our hearts and our lives asking for spiritual protection. The rocks. The seed on the rocks are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But having no root, they believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Fall away in a time of testing. You said some people way they respond is they respond with joy. They start sprouting. But then dry times come. Testing comes. Hard things in life, tough things in life. And then they fall away in a time of testing. So the next application is to persevere in the face of suffering and trials. And I don't know why it's still this kind of myth in Christianity. A lot of people are confused uh, when they begin to following Jesus and then they experience hard things. And they're like, I thought everything would go my way since I chose to follow Jesus. Right? If God is real and he loves me and I'm following him, shouldn't everything go well? Actually, no. She said, in this world, you'll have trouble. <laughs> but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, though, you will have trouble. You're not going to respond well to suffering and trials if you don't expect them. We should expect suffering and trials as Christians. And we need to learn to persevere in the face of those. I've heard the the phrase, and I think it's true, that, that trials can make us bitter or they can make us better. And it's dependent on how we choose to respond to them. But you'll look to God's strength to get you through persevere in the face of suffering and trials. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who when they have heard, they go on their way and they are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. When I hear Jesus' words here, I think this is the biggest temptation for those of us living in our culture and the world we live in. Uh, Because we are so blessed with so many gifts and nice things, and it's so easy those things can become distractions. We're so blessed with so much free time. I mean, for most of human history, like, you had to work 90% of the day and then make your food as fast as you can and then sleep and then repeat, right, just to survive, we get to think about what TV show do you want to watch or what, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Like most people for most of human history be like, how is that even a question? <laughs> and we have so many, so many good choices and we have so many good gifts. And those are good gifts. Those are good things. But the danger is what place they find in our heart. Those things can crowd out. God, we have to work to prioritize putting Jesus first. Rick Warren said, the more we have, the more we stand to lose. Our possessions can become our prison if we allow them to take precedence over our pursuit of God. So yes, enjoy nice things, but do not put them first. Where are they in your heart and in your life? And does God come first? Don't allow the nice things in life to crowd out God. All of us, we get to control the condition of the soil of our heart. And what's the good seed? What's the good soil? But the good seed is, good, but the seed in the good ground. These are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it. And by enduring, produce fruits. We need to hold on, and endure, and in time we'll produce fruit. Um, just thinking about the fact that Jesus' analogies often with spiritual growth and life change are very slow, and I think they're purposefully so. Right? Like we have not seen any sign of growth from these seeds I just planted. Right? We could stay here all day and we wouldn't see any signs of growth. He says, this is, this is good soil. This is seed planted in good soil. This is what it looks like. So exciting, right? <laughs> You don't get to microwave spiritual transformation and spiritual fruit in our lives. It's a slow and steady growth. I've even heard it described as a slow and steady slog. (laughs) Patiently holding on to God's word in our heart and putting him first day after day. And tomorrow doing the same thing. And the next day doing the same thing. And in a week or two, you see a little tiny green plant popping up and you stay faithful the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and it gets a little bigger. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and it gets a little bigger. And it's so easy to get impatient along the way, right? Why isn't this going faster, God? Why don't I see more change in my life and the people and those around us? You stay faithful, and you hold on day after day, and day after day, and day after day, and it gets bigger and bigger. But eventually, Jesus says, there is a harvest. That plant will produce fruit eventually. But it's not overnight. We need endurance and patience. We need to be the people who hold on despite how annoyingly slow that growth can be. So each of us, Jesus says, you control the condition of the soil that is your heart. And I would love for you to consider the question. Uh, Maybe you're here today. You say, well, I'm following Jesus. I'm being faithful. You know, I I think I'm this soil. Great. Uh, One question I would love for you to consider, maybe even talk to your spouse or your family or a close friend about this week, is let's say for the sake of argument, you weren't. Just for the sake of argument, which of these soils do you think you have the greatest capacity or temptation to slip into being? In your weaker moments, is it that the stuff of life will crowd out God's word? Is it that when you face trials and suffering and hard things, you question everything and are, will be tempted to let go? Or is it that you've just kind of closed your eyes to reality of spiritual evil and you don't even think of that as a reality? I think it'd be good to, for all of us to have our eyes open to where am I most likely to be tempted? Because we want to persevere and hold on and have patience. So I'm going to pray for us. And in a moment, we're going to sing a, a song that celebrates the fact that God's arms are open wide. He scatters his seed to everyone. That no matter who you are, where you're from, how good your life background before Jesus was, or how bad it was, or even... If you have been previously one of these soils, all of us are invited to come back home to the Father. But God is like a good heavenly Father, and he's just waiting and looking and hoping we will turn around and come back to him. So let me pray for this time of response. And again, uh, this is a time to respond for all of us to consider, where is my heart with God's word? Jesus, I thank you for the fact that our relationship with you is not determined by our past lives. And that you call each of us to consider where we are with you and you invite each of us to you. And for those of us who have already done that and said yes to that and have been walking with you, you invite us to keep doing that to keep enduring and bearing fruit with patience. And so, God, for those of us and that that's where we're at, would you give us an amazing amount of patience to keep going when it feels like we don't see a lot of evidence for change? Would you help us to hold on? God, for those of us here who maybe we're like that those weeds choking out, see that we've gotten distracted and sidetracked and paid attention to other things besides you, would you reprioritize our hearts and help us to set those things aside and put you in first place? And for anyone here who's never said yes, who's never received the word that is your truth, Jesus, would you give them open hearts and help them consider that? And if today is the day of salvation, for them to say yes to that amazing gift of life. For all of us, would we consider your words, Jesus, and respond with courage and action. In your name we pray, amen.